Well, do you feel the love this morning in this place? Well, I, it's in the air, and it's also going to be served afterwards, I understand, in that sweetheart uh, breakfast that you're all going to be participating in. You know, you get the sense, don't you, that with Valentine's Day approaching, something extraordinary is in the air. People, and I include myself in this, many of whom are normally more reserved about such things, are about to open up and publicly expose and pass around their most vital, their most prized body organ. I'm talking, of course, about St. Valentine's Day tomorrow and the symbol that most identifies it, the heart. As everybody knows, and these children obviously now know, the heart not only pumps blood throughout the body and keeps us alive, to the romantic in us, it also generates our feelings and desires, love, hate, anger, passion, fear, sympathy, and hundreds of other emotions all originate in the heart, we say. And so it's what's in the heart that counts. In our relationships, the heart matters most. Well, that's the way God made us. It's the way he intends us to be, to live out our lives. We weren't created to be cold, unfeeling, uncaring robots. God made us in his image so that we could be like him and love the way he loves, since God is love, rejoice the way he rejoices, and yes, to receive love the same way he desires to be loved. As the Bible pictures it, the heart is the very foundation of our relationship with God, certainly, for faith is God's gift to the heart, but it's also the, the basis of our relationship with other people. For you are to, as Jesus reminds us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, but also love your neighbor as yourself. It's this spiritual dimension of the heart that I think Jesus is getting at behind all of the to talk about blessings and woes or curses in today's readings. Our gospel lesson is from, from Luke's version of what Matthew records as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You recall the Beatitudes of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Luke, in his recognized uh, Sermon on the Level Place, or sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain, speaks about the same blessings and curses, or the, the blessed be the blessed are you, or woe to you. And in those words, I think Jesus expresses his desire. In fact, his command that we be people who love and care deeply about other people. St. Valentine's Day notwithstanding, there is in our world today a, th a crisis of the heart, a crisis of caring for other people. You don't have to be very old to notice that people aren't in touch with other people as much as they used to be. We've lost our sense of community, of neighborliness, and we've replaced it with demands for individual rights, personal freedoms. A big part of it, I think, has to do with us being too busy or thinking that we're too busy and too busy with ourselves so wrapped up in our own private little world, focusing only on our self-centered goals. 
What's best for me? What do I get out of it are the big questions we ask. And so we make statements like take care of yourself or my body, my choice, or don't make mandates that force me to do what I don't want to do, even though it might benefit my neighbor. But another contributing factor in this crisis of the heart today is the, the technology that we've created for ourselves, which I think isolates us from others. Now, it's not that we've become more introverted and, and antisocial. No, I mean, you know, we talk about social networking, and that's huge these days. But it's done less in person and more by machine. For example, we interact with others through email and Facebook, blogs, tweets, and texts. We make a phone call. And a machine answers and dictates the, con the conversation. Just push a few buttons here and there and take care of all your business. Don't have to talk to a single person. Or if we want to make a, a phone call, a personal call to people who aren't home, we can leave electronic voicemail. Need cash? Drop by an ATM. Insert your card, push a few buttons, and you're in business. Hungry? Well, you just drive up, give your order to a voice in a box, pay a nameless face behind a window, and you're on your way. Need spirituality? Well, relax in the comfort of your home, in your pajamas if you like. Turn on your radio, television, or computer and select your preacher of choice. Don't, don't have to stand up or sing or give an offering. And you can disengage when you've had enough or when it gets too personal. And so grows the crisis of care. Radio and television and cyberspace can't listen to you when you need somebody to talk to or to love you enough to admonish you when you're wrong. Computers and cell phones can't hug you when you're grieving. Heartless machines could care less. Who's going to care for you if you aren't in touch with other people? But even we people can become like machines when it comes to caring for others. Now that happens when we have a, a mechanical loveless attitude toward the keeping of God's law. You see, we can look at God's commandments in two ways. First of all, as, as rules that have to be kept for their own sake, you know? No purpose, no, no joy, like a machine, yours is not to reason why, just do it and hopefully God will be happy with you. If we were only machines and God was only interested that we perform up to specification and we then uh, were able to, to uh, be judged on our own merit, that would be fine. But we're not. We're people, not machines. We're people who have been placed into relationship with God and with one another. So God's law with its blessings and woes goes deeper than face value, external observance of each command. It goes inside, all the way to the heart. 
And it's there that love of God and the care and, and concern and love of, of others is added to that sterile command. And the result is obedience that has a purpose. Not to merit anything from God, but to bring glory to God and peace and unity to this world and happiness and fulfillment to individual people. That's the correct way to respond to God's laws. Now, needless to say, that is not always our motivation for being, obeying God's commandments. I mean, our, our hearts are not always so pure. Jesus, the giver of the law, becomes here in his Sermon on the Mount, the law's interpreter. In Matthew's expanded version of this sermon, it gets right to the heart of the matter when Jesus says, you have heard it said, you know, thou shalt, thou shalt not. But I tell you, I tell you, Jesus cuts through the, the facade of right living down into the, the inner recesses of mind thought and down deeper still, all the way to the control center of our life, down to the heart. And it's there, mixed in with feelings of love and care, there also coexists the real junk of our being, thoughts and desires so horrible that we would die of shame if they were ever exposed. Elsewhere, Jesus says, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. And so, we hear, in, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear the fifth commandment, do not murder, and we think in our, mind, in our minds, well, I'm okay, I haven't done that. But Jesus goes to the heart, to the feelings that can lead to murder, to anger, hatred, name-calling. And he makes them equally damning crimes. He reminds us that when we harbor bitterness in our heart against somebody and refuse to be reconciled, either by admitting our sin against them or by refusing to forgive their sin against us, then we have no business coming to God's altar for forgiveness. Well, who then is innocent of murder? We here do not commit adultery. And again, many among us might self-righteously think, well, thankfully, he's not talking to me there. And then Jesus blows us away with his, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa. Who then has never committed adultery? God knows that a harmonious world and happy, fulfilled people are, are ruined long before crimes like murder and rape and adultery are committed. Sins of the heart already destroy the love of God and neighbor that alone can keep his law. When we don't care for others in the heart, we use them and abuse them for our own selfish purposes. Mechanical, uncaring obedience to the letter of the law misses the point. It's not really obedience at all. 
If the heart isn't in it, God doesn't want it. That's what Jesus warns us of here today. He goes right to our heart. He exposes it, lays it bare, and defenseless. And that's a good thing. It is a necessary thing. Here again is that wonderful paradox of the gospel, that, that great surprise of God's grace. Jesus hurts us so that he can heal us. He breaks hard hearts with his woe to you so that he can heal broken hearts with his blessed are you. He kills us in the proud estimation of our, our mechanical obedience so that he can make us alive in our personal and faith-driven love and care for others. You see, not only is God's damning law aimed at our hearts, so also is his saving love. In fact, here's a Valentine's card for you. He's in love with you. God's in love with you, even when you're unfaithful to him, even when you might not feel very lovable. He keeps coming at us, going right for the control center of the heart. You recall the Old Testament story of King David and Bathsheba? The story rife with, with temptation sin, adultery, deception, cover-up, and finally murder. When the prophet Nathan came to King David and said, you're the man. You're the man guilty of lust, adultery, and murder. It broke David's heart. The guilt of his sin drove him to write Psalm 51, in which he comes to a compassionate God, and he finds that God ready to forgive him. And then he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then almost in response to that, that prayer, God would later on say to his people Israel through the prophet Ezekiel, I shall give them one heart and shall put a new spirit within them, and I shall take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will be my people and I will be their God. Sounds like a heart transplant, doesn't it? It's this cold, defective heart that Jesus once, once went to a cross to purify and cleanse with his blood. Blood pumped out from his own heart. His obedience forgives our sin, and that forgiveness, not our presumed goodness, but that forgiveness makes us acceptable to God. That is the greatest heart transplant operation of all time. The great exchange. And what's more, God's love now came right into our heart in the person of Christ Jesus. He gives up his heart and gives us a new heart. That happened the moment that we first believed. Jesus has given us that heart, that new heart, a, a heart that trusts in him for that forgiveness, a heart then that is capable of love and true obedience, 
a heart that truly cares for other people. There's a history to this uh, St. Valentine's Day that we recognize tomorrow. Valentine was a, a third century Christian who, as tradition has it, offered to give his life in the place of a young woman who was about to die for her faith. That is the ultimate of sacrificial love, isn't it? The love that God has given for us. There's nothing mechanical about that kind of love. And it's not surprising then that it would become the inspiration for our, our love festival tomorrow. Folks, continue that tradition with your new and clean heart. Let your life be a Christ-filled valentine. And so may the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.